Hi, Katie. Welcome, everyone, to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may or may not have heard of. Well, you should know that by now, if you're a regular listener. If you're not, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Come and listen to some history with us. Uh, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. I just came back from having a run, and I uh, haven't had shower or anything. Just lovely fresh from the run great (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad i don't have to smell you (laughs) and i am on lunch from work which is a nice new refreshing time to record means i'm not tired which is great (laughs) so yeah hopefully you'll be able to hear that in my voice maybe you're listening to this while eating your lunch knowing that another lunch time is happening get into it let's do it let's just that's it okay so i don't think you're gonna have heard of this person but you know someone connected to them for sure okay so today i'm going to talk about someone who kind of is a celebrity okay so like everyone knows who like i don't know kim kardashian is yeah right so this is kind of the 17 1800s equivalent <laughs> all right of like the Kardashian or Paris Hilton, maybe as another example. I like it. So let's get to it. So I'm going to ask you anyway, have you ever heard of Lady Emma Hamilton? I have. Have you? Yeah. That's great. She's a... Do you know who I'm talking about then, yeah. who she's connected to? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into it. She was born Amy Lyon in Cheshire in England on the 26th of April, 1765. Her father was Henry Lyon, who was a blacksmith, um, but he actually died when she was only two months old. She was raised by her mother, Mary, and her grandmother, Sarah. She didn't receive any kind of, like, formal education, and she started going by the name Emma Hart a bit later on in life, so that wasn't her given birth name. Emma's mother moved to London in 1777, and... At that time, Emma was 12 and she needed to start working because of the money situation. So she started working as a maid to Dr. Lee Thomas, who was a surgeon. That's so brutal, isn't it? 12 years old and that's it. Yeah, no formal education. In the world Just started working. Yeah. I forgot that she was so... uh, I don't want to say low-born because that's a terrible... Working class. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I I guess partly because her father died. Hmm. You know, she... She needed to start working. However, a few months later, she also moved to London in like autumn of 1777. And there she started to work for the Budd family in Chatham Place in Blackfriars in London. (laughs) She also did a little bit of acting at the Drury Lane Theatre in Covent Garden. She worked as a maid for the actress Mary Robinson. And she also worked a little bit as a model and a dancer for a man named James Graham, a Scottish quack in inverted commas doctor <laughs> so yeah she kind of had come some exciting jobs and some not so exciting mm. jobs so at 15 emma met sir henry featherston here who hired her for several months for a lengthy stag party oh boy i know basically she like danced in the nude on his dining room table and stuff like that oh, while she was there he took her as a mistress when she was 15 Oh, 1700s. <laughs> Why do you do this to us? And uh, she conceived a child by him. However, she was kind of 
bored of him <laughs> and she decided to become the mistress of his friend Charles Francis Greville who was apparently dull but sincere so Greville said that the child had to be fostered out if she was going to be his mistress yeah, that's a bit harsh yeah so at first the child was raised by Emma's grandmother and then after that by a schoolmaster and his wife so by sincere we mean sincerely an ass. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all of the men in the story are asses. All so. the men in the 1700s are asses. Quite a few are asses now, it would seem. It's not a surprise. <laughs> also, the child was also called Emma, because people love yeah, to name yeah, their yeah. children was, after themselves in the 1700s. There wasn't much imagination back then. Okay, so Emma was at Greenville's mercy at this time, living in a small house on the rural outskirts of London. He arranged for Emma's mother to become their housekeeper and chaperone, and she had to wear a modest dress and kind of not have a very good social life. Yeah. Yeah. She was also taught to be more eloquent and introduced his friends. So he was, like, gentrifying her. Okay, then. Greenville sent Emma to sit. And when I say sit, I mean, like, as a model. Okay, then. I thought you meant like, on command. <laughs> like I was like, jeez. <laughs> no, he sent her to sit for a friend, George Romney, and any art historians out there will know George Romney, as a model and muse. This was the time when she first gained celebrity, really, because these portraits became incredibly popular and she was the subject of Romney's most famous paintings. So if you actually go to her wikipedia or just you know online you'll see there are so many portraits and you'll be like Mm. oh that portrait yeah that was her (laughs) (laughs) because when at this time when historians sorry when artists would paint like i don't know venus or whatever yeah it would actually be someone sitting yeah um and they would base it on that so she would be his um muse so romney actually uh, had a lifelong obsession with her he sketched her in the nude as well, so when she wasn't there, he could paint portraits oh, of wow. her. Oh, wow. He properly titanic her. I mean, that wasn't unusual, because you can't have a model sitting for hours oh, yeah. and hours on end. So he would have... But he sketched, like, a lot of sketches of her in the nude. She actually became very witty and intelligent, elegant, and, as you can see from the portraits, incredibly beautiful. In 1783, Greville needed to find a rich wife. And obviously, Emma Didn't is quite not fit that bill. a rich wife. So he found one in the form of Henriette Middleton. I don't know if she is related to the Middletons, perhaps. The line surprised. goes back a long way, so I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, it's, it's really weird, isn't it? Men would just marry women for their money and then just take their money. It's awful. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's that in this as well. So. <laughs> and Emma was a bit of a problem for the new wife. I mean, not many wives, like, yeah. their husbands have mistresses, but... So, Greville fobbed off Emma <laughs> on to his uncle, Sir William Hamilton. Oh, jeez. So, Greville said that Emma would be a very good mistress, and once he was married, he would come and get Emma back. So, he's just fobbing her off for a bit, and then he'd get her back. So Sir William, now 55, was widowed and had previously had a wife who he was very happily married to. He paid for her journey to Naples, where he lived, where he had a lavish house and needed a hostess for his saloon, which is something Emma could be very good at. 
Greenfield didn't actually tell Emma of his plan, but he told her that the holiday in Naples was because he was away on business in Scotland and she didn't, like, work it out. So Emma and her mother set out on the 13th of March, 1786 and got to Naples on her 21st birthday, which is the 26th of April, 1786. After about six months living in apartments with her mother, she came to realise that, obviously, Greyville had fobbed her off. Eventually, she started to enjoy Naples' life, and eventually, she also gave in to Sir William. They began courting around Christmas 1786. Oh, boy. That is a 30-odd-year gap there. It is. Well, she's 21. She, you know, she can make any decisions. They ended up falling in love. Sir William forgot that she was meant to be a temporary mistress and she moved into the apartments. They married on the 6th of September 1791 at St. Marylebone Parish Church. They had returned to England so Sir William could get the king's consent for the marriage. At the time, she was 26 and he was 60. And this is how she got the name Hamilton. Exactly. So she would use the name Lady Hamilton for the rest of her life. (laughs) At this time, Sir William was also inducted into the Privy Council, which is a big deal Mm. for those of you who are early modern historians. And after this, Romney painted Emma in person for the last time. She's too good for her now. Yeah, I mean, Romney... She's a lady. (laughs) <laughs> he was like plunged into a deep depression and drew like a very frenzied number of sketches of her and it was all a bit weird okay so they returned to Naples after two days in England where they quickly got married and got inducted to the Privy Council you know casual two days <laughs> and in Naples she became close friends with Queen Maria Carolina who was the sister of Marie Antoinette she was a great singer she sang to like the masses and also in her own home she was even offered a season at the royal opera of madrid but turned it down she developed something called her attitudes which was kind of like a tableau where she portrayed sculptures and paintings before british visitors so imagine like dressing up as the the mona lisa or something (laughs) that's i mean this is pre-mona lisa actually being painted but you know like that's the kind of thing we're talking about so she'd pose as like venus or whatever and she got dressmakers to make costumes it's kind of cross between postures dance and acting and it was her first revealed to guests in the spring of 1787 at sir william's home in naples the guests were basically had to guess the names of the classical characters being portrayed to kind of like charades okay and after that attitudes as she called them, were taken up by several other female artists. So she actually started this kind of small artistic movement. There's actually an episode of The Gilmore Girls where they dress up as famous paintings. I don't know if you've seen that. Anyway, that's just a little sidebar. We need to do a famous painting dress-up party. Needs to happen. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) It's going to be so good. She had much more control over her life with... uh, Sir William. With Sir William than she did with George. Oh, yes, she did. Sincerely arsehead George. Greville. <laughs> Greville. I can't remember his first name, but yeah, he was uh, he was an arse. Anyway, now we come to the man who we're all waiting to hear about. Oh, yeah. So on the 10th of September, 1793, Nelson came to Naples to gather forces against the French. After only five days in Naples, it was clear 
that our man Nelson was in love. Smitten. He's a smitten kitten. And just as a sidebar to that, after four years, Emma and Sir William hadn't conceived, and it was probably that he was sterile at this point, because he's an he's old man. Old. Emma asked for her daughter to be brought over from England, but Sir William said no. Oh. I but he did he was... look for suitors for her, so he like provided financially for her. Hmm. And found her, like, husband and stuff. But he didn't want her, like, in the house. Oh, I thought he was going to be a bit better, but... I think he's a nice man, but he's just old and rich and British, so... And it's the just 1700s. Want, uh, just doesn't want to... But how old, is, how old is the daughter? The daughter is, I don't know, this uh, around 10, 12? Okay, then. Young, but mm. not, like... You're like a teenager. Okay. But, uh, still so, a bit annoying to have running around the house. Yeah, maybe. Fair enough. saloons. <laughs> okay, so Nelson came back five years later in September in 1798. By this time, Nelson was super famous, but also slightly aged. He had lost an arm, as we all know. Oh, yeah. And most of his teeth. Still, Emma spoke of him very affectionately and he of her. He actually stayed with Emma and Sir William. They celebrated Nelson's 40th birthday on the 29th of September with... 1,800 guests. Jeez. Imagine. I don't even know that many people. That's like the whole of Naples. Some people are so cool. (laughs) (laughs) After this, Emma became Nelson's secretary and they've been in love. Sir William actually tolerated the fair, apparently due to the respect that he had for Nelson, which means that he clearly has no respect for Emma. So by November, news of the affair had reached English newspapers and it became famous. Emma also played an important role in putting an end to the revolution in Naples. She acted as a go-between, conveying messages from the Queen to Nelson and from Nelson to the Queen in 1799. So, yeah, mistresses and wives play an important role in politics. Never forget that. Mm. Oh, yeah. As we have discovered in the last week. (laughs) Okay, so Nelson's was recalled to Brim. At the same time that Sir William was relieved from his post in Naples, so it kind of coincided. And at that same time, in April 1800, Emma became pregnant. So Nelson, Emma, Sir William and Emma's mother travelled back to Britain and they received a hero's welcome on the 6th of November 1800. The three of them took suites at a hotel and at this time, Nelson's wife, who I haven't mentioned before, <laughs> met them for dinner and she was not happy to see that Emma was pregnant. So his wife's name was Fanny and she really wasn't as placid as Sir William was about the affair. However, Emma was winning in the media war and people were started, like experimenting with her look. You know how... Like I'm oh, saying, wow. she's a celebrity. She- it's like there's Instagram <laughs> and people are like... I want to get these curls on or whatever. Also, Nelson wasn't being especially nice to Fanny at this time. Yeah, so that doesn't sound like a very healthy relationship. (laughs) So the Harringtons moved into a mansion on Gravesner Square and Nelson and Fanny moved round the corner to a house like a walk away. And then they moved to 23 Piccadilly opposite Green Park, which obviously if you're in London, go stand outside 23 Piccadilly. It's still there. I'm gonna check that out. <laughs> On the 1st of January 1801, Nelson was made Vice Admiral and he prepared to go to sea. Nelson decided that he should choose between his wife and his mistress and he ended up choosing Emma and started formal steps to divorce his wife. 
he never saw her again. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ended. While he was at sea, he wrote to Emma, and they used, like, a secret code to talk about her condition. At this point, Nelson doesn't know about her first daughter yet. So, Nelson and Emma's daughter, Horatia... Imagine, imagine oh, calling geez, your daughter like just your name, but with an A at the end. <laughs> Is that even like a pre-existing name? Or do they just go mm, Horatia? Oh, Horatio sounds... for a boy and Horatia <laughs> for. But he already has a previous son called Horatio as well. So <laughs> his children are called Horatio and Horatia, <laughs> which you just can't make up. See, no imagination in the 1700s. Literally just couldn't come up. I reckon that's what it is. You just couldn't come up with another name. It's like, I just, I can't think of anything else except for my name. There's no other <laughs> name. We'll have to call her Horatia. Oh, so stupid. I hope they called her like, I don't know, Honey for sure or something. Anyway, she was born on the 29th of January, 1801. She was first taken in by a wet nurse, as as usual at this time. Um, only two days later, Emma appeared at a concert keen to keep the press on side. So that is... Hey, I wouldn't know we're doing that. Work no, so in the media. The future King George IV actually became infatuated with Emma too, and Nelson became very jealous, but Sir William assured him that his wife was very faithful as a mistress. <laughs> <laughs> which I love that's so funny oh, my wife is very faithful mistress how dare you <laughs> um, and then Nelson returned in February to meet his daughter they continued to write while he was at sea and she kept every single letter which thank you very much to history like history loves that you have all this stuff because it's just beautiful like if you ever have letters keep them in a box because we need them <laughs> I mean social media now but you know we need them <laughs> By the autumn of the same year, upon Emma's advice, Nelson bought Merton Place, a small ramshackle house in Merton near Wimbledon for £9,000, which is no small sum in the 1800s. Imagine if we could buy a mansion for £9,000. We'd have have so many mansions. Many mansions. (laughs) (laughs) He gave her free reign with spending to improve the property and her vision was to transform the house into a celebration of Nelson's genius. They lived together openly with Sir William and Emma's mother in like a weird menage a trois that was like fascinating to the public. Yeah. It's just so so weird. weird. But everyone kind of loved it. They were like, yeah, (laughs) this is fine. So Emma turned herself into winning over Nelson's family he, she nursed for his 80-year-old father, Edmund, who absolutely loved her. She also made herself useful to Nelson's sisters, Kitty and Susanna, by helping to raise their children and make ends meet financially. Also around this time, Emma finally told Nelson about her daughter, who was now called Emma Hartley, because she had got married, Okay, and found that she had nothing to worry about. He invited her to stay at Merton and soon grew fond of her. On the 25th of March 1802, after the Treaty Treaty of Amends, (laughs) Nelson was released from active service. He wanted to maintain his place in society and even missed the death of his father so he could celebrate Emma's 37th birthday. Oh, wow, that's... That's not good. (laughs) That's kind of dedication, I suppose, to... To the cause. To the cause, but... (laughs) Um, so news- newspapers followed them everywhere, including on trips and holidays. 
But by this time, which was 1803, Sir William was very unwell. Remember, he's an old man by now. But that didn't stop them throwing a children's ball after the new year in honour of Horatia with a hundred guests. So Sir William then collapsed in his Piccadilly home and died on the 6th of April in Emma's arms. After Sir William's death, she decided to leave 23 Piccadilly. I think that's more like because of his estate, not she yeah. decided to. But for the sake of respectability, she still had a separate address to Nelson. Nelson had to go to sea again as commander-in-chief, and they christened Horatia swiftly before he left. She was actually named Horatia Nelson Thompson, and her birthday was recorded as earlier to keep up the pretense that she was like an orphan from Naples that they had adopted and she was like the godchild of Emma and Nelson. Like, nobody's <laughs> buying this. Like, it's... Anyway. So Emma continued to help out Nelson's family, planning her sister's wedding and hosting it. This was on the 18th of May, 1803, the same day that Nelson left to fight in the Na- Napoleonic Wars. Oh, uh, obviously, they weren't called that at the time, but, you know. So, hang on. About the Horatia, so... How were yep. the newspapers reporting the Horatia thing? Was it considered a massive scandal or they were just pretty on board with it? I think, as far as I can tell, they were buying it, but yeah. not really buying it, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that thing in the 17, 1800s where people know the truth. Yeah. They just pretend that they don't know the truth which is just stupid because now everyone would be like oh we know the prime minister's having an affair or whatever yeah like but back then it would be like oh no he's such a respectable man but yeah it's the usual hypocrisy judging especially when you have a hero like nelson yeah yeah exactly judging who they want to judge but the other people who they like that do stuff you're like nah, yeah it's okay they're fine Absolutely. they're fine so just before he left for the napoleonic wars as, as they are called now, Emma became pregnant with their second child. So Emma was lonely without Nelson and occupied herself decorating the house at Merton. The second child was born but died six weeks after the birth in oh early gosh. 1804. She managed to hide this from the press, both the pregnancy and the birth and the death, which is a lot easier when there's not like mass media. Yeah. Camping outside. Yeah, it's only like... All hours of the day. You know, photo photography mm. so i'd have to sketch it <laughs> at that time also horatia fell ill but she was okay and emma occupied herself with drinking and gambling <laughs> she received several marriage proposals in 1804 but she was in love with nelson and believed that he would put her in his will at uh, five years old in 1804 horatia came to merton to live with emma ready for nelson's return so remember, like, when a child is young, usually they go and live with a wet nurse yeah. for, like, a while, or maybe even to school. He um he wrote to her at this time, and that Emma should be careful in his will, along with his adopted daughter, which is what he called her, mm. um, Horatio, Horatia Nelson. So on the 21st of October, 1805, Nelson's fleet defeated a joint Franco-Spanish naval force, at the Battle of Trafalgar, which is why Trafalgar Square, etc. Trafalgar. Cross the T. That's what he did. 
<laughs> so Nelson was actually seriously wounded in battle and he died only three hours later. The news of his death arrived in London. A messenger was sent to Merton Palace to bring the news to Lady Hamilton. She said this. They brought me the word, Mr. Whitby from the Admiralty. Admiralty. <laughs> from the Admiralty. <laughs> Show him in directly, I said. He came in with a pale countenance and a faint voice. He said we have gained a great victory never mind your victory i said my letters give me my letters captain whitby was unable to speak tears in his eyes and a deathly paleness over his face made me comprehend him i believe i gave a scream and fell back and for 10 hours i could neither speak nor shed a tear she lay in bed for many weeks often receiving visitors in tears it was some weeks before she heard that Nelson's last words were of her and that he had begged the nation to take care of her and Horatia. Nelson had, in fact, not managed to change his will and Nelson's horrid brother-in-law, William, distanced himself from Emma. Oh, man, what a bastard. But she relied on the other sister and also helped them too. Okay. So, Nelson's entire estate went to his horrible brother-in-law, William, except for Merton. The government made William an earl and his son Horatio a viscount. Emma got Merton £2,000 and £500 a year, but despite Nelson's wishes, the country didn't provide for Emma and it wasn't enough money to keep up Merton. Emma was excluded. Emma was excluded from the funeral, which cost £14,000 and only men were invited. Oh, jeez. It's just, like, stupid. After the funeral, Nelson's family began begging, like, his brother, his brother-in-law, um, but they, he wouldn't help, and Emma wasn't in any position to help, um, though he, she did educate some of their adolescent daughters at her home. Nelson's solicitor helped divide up some of the money for the family, so they they kind of got some money off William. So is this Fanny's brother? This is... No, this is uh no, his brother-in-law as in his sister's brother. Oh, okay. Then. It's, sorry, his sister's husband. Jeez. Yeah. How the hell so, did like, he his get older the money? sister? Because he's like the closest male relative. And like I guess maybe he that was the will at the time and maybe he's maybe he's like the guy who's in charge of Horatio. God, it's so nonsensical, isn't it? I don't know, but he got the money. And it's a lot of money. Nelson was like, re-urge. Mm. Um, so, yeah, her brother-in-law also refused... The brother-in-law also refused to give Emma her pension, which was supposed to be, I think, 500 a year. And she was hurt after all she had done for their children. She spent 1806 to 1808 keeping up the act, continuing to spend parties and alterations to Merton to make it like a monument to Nelson. Goods that Nelson had ordered before he died arrived and had to be paid for. The annual payment was not enough to pay off the debts and keep up the lifestyle, and she fell heavily into debt. She moved into a cheaper home from the one, not Merton, like the Mm -hmm. London home, to a home on Bond Street, but she couldn't bring herself to sell Merton. William actually blackmailed her into giving him money. What? And, How did that yeah, work? And her, his other family was also expecting handouts from her. Her eldest daughter, also called Emma, came for a short summer visit in June 1806. And then 
Yeah, sent Sir Harry Featherstone, who sent five hundred pounds to for them, so he helped a little bit. Emma hosted and employed James Harrison for six months to write a two-volume life of Nelson, which made it clear that Horatia was his child. She continued to entertain at Merton, including the Prince of Wales and the Dukes of Sussex and Clarence, but no favours were returned by the royals. Of course they weren't. Within three years, Emma was more than £15,000 in debt. In June 1808, Merton failed to sell at auction. Her friends, of which she still had some, uh, helped her to organise her finances and sell Merton, which was eventually sold in 1809. However, her lavish spending continued. Her mother died in January 1810. And for most of 1811 and 1812, she was in a virtual debtor's prison, Mm -hmm. which isn't actually like a prison prison. So if you're in like a virtual debtor's prison and you're gentry or genteel, you can live within the rules, but live within like a square, three square mile around the prison. So you're not actually in okay. prison, you're just like near the prison. <laughs> <laughs> so they like, just check on you every now and then. They're just like, still here? Like, yeah, cool. All right then. Don't go anywhere. So in early 1813, she petitioned the Prince of Wales, the government and friends, but all of her requests failed. And she was obliged to auction off many of her possessions, including many Nelson's relics at very low prices. However, she continued to borrow money to keep up appearances. Public opinion started to turn against her after letters between herself and Nelson were published in 1814. Emma became anxious to leave the country, but owing to the risk of arrest if she travelled on a normal ferry, she and Horatia hid from creditors for a week before boarding a private vessel to Calais on the 1st of July 1814, with only £50 to her name. Yikes. They initially took apartments at the expense of Desson's Hotel, and she kept up a fine social life, relying on creditors. Her old housekeeper, Dame Frances, came to run the household and hire servants, but soon she was deeply in debt and suffering from long-standing health problems, including stomach pains, nausea, and diarrhea. Oh, man. Not dropsy this time. I think, it pretty, I think pretty much dropsy is that, isn't it? Like She actually turned to the church, joined a Catholic church called Saint Pierre, the St. Pierre Congregation, which is weird at that time if you're a gentry in the British. Yeah. You know. Frowned upon. Yeah, but she's in France now, so it's fine. Okay, so in November of that year, they moved into a cheaper flat and Emma started drinking very heavily. She died on the 15th of January, 1815, only 49 years old. She was buried in Calais, and her grave was, actually, grave was actually lost in the war. First World War. But in 1994, a memorial was erected in a nearby park in her honour. Nelson's family took in Horatia. Horatia subsequently married Reverend Philip Ward and had ten children, the first of whom is named Horatio Nelson. She lived until 1881. Horatia Horatia never publicly acknowledged that she was the daughter of Emma Hamilton. Oh, it's a bit harsh. And that's the story of one of the first celebrities. Oh, wow. Turned against a fickle, fickle Britain. Also, didn't take care of... Venerate the heroes, but don't, don't do what they ask. 
Fickle, fickle Britain. It's because she wasn't the wife. She was the mistress. Nelson should have just married her after... That is true. After he left his wife. And then, like, she would have been Nelson's wife and it would have all been sorted. I don't understand why he would divorce his wife and then not marry Emma. Wasn't it when they were waiting for her hubby to die? But he did die. Oh, did he die? When? Yeah. Did he, I thought he died later. He died after, yeah. He died after the divorce. But he, okay, Nelson then. could have married her after yeah, yeah. Hamilton died. He, was, he wasn't off at war by that time then. Yeah, I mean, he was back and forth, wasn't he? Okay, then. So I think maybe... Because slipped it in there time. somewhere. Or maybe the king didn't approve. Like, it might have been, you know, because she's Lady Hamilton... You have to get the king's consent and all this rubbish when you're like gentry, so yeah. Goddamn German. <laughs> anyway, I didn't know any of that really. Yeah, I knew like um, a bit, like a bit about her from reading about just books about the Napoleonic Wars, but yeah, nothing in detail. It's interesting that she rose. She's kind of like a social climber, but not by her own volition. Yeah, she didn't like try and become a mistress. She was just was a mistress, yeah, like just swept up in it. Yeah, and started at like fifteen. Yeah, and for her whole life, that was all she was. There's a lot of interesting women in the Napoleonic Wars. There's like the French equivalent, isn't there? Um, Napoleon. Well, this is the uh, time of the French Revolution as well. Yeah. So this is all wrapped up in this big kind of ideas about what women should be i mean this is like in parallel with mary wollstonecraft yeah and marie antoinette as well as i said but yeah this was it was like the media were finally had like something sensational to talk about it was like the first time that people were like openly talking about someone's mistress i guess because everyone had them yeah oh yeah absolutely everyone did male and female everyone had like something on the side yeah exactly um, so how's your not working going yeah fine i'm um yeah it's just working on my game i just wanted to try to do some music yesterday but uh yeah it didn't really go very well <laughs> nothing's <laughs> going well i just i don't like it anymore i want it to be over yeah i mean i'm quite bored but i mean like am i bored anymore I think I've just become too accustomed to it. I can't remember what life was before this. I'm bored. <laughs> Covid land is just it now. I don't think it's going to end. Apparently, they keep saying that. Um, don't expect the vaccine to be a silver bullet. It's like I thought that's exactly what it was supposed to be. If it's not, then we're just going to do this forever. Might as well just die now. Yeah. Just end the world. Yeah, just it, the world it's is over. ended now. It's over. It's just like we tried. Yeah, it was alright. It was good for while. A while. It, good while it lasted, I suppose. Dinosaurs, you had a good run. You wanted to give it another go. Yeah, they we'll have to have to come back though. We need to find something that's uh, existing. It's gonna be the birds. Birds. That's a good one. Yeah, and they can fly. I mean, I wish I could fly. Exactly. I don't. Really? I wish I could teleport. That was sick. But I mean, like, you'd get such a good view from up there. No, I don't like it. I don't want to be up there with the birds. You know how I feel about birds. Yeah. I mean, like, you don't have to talk to the birds. Just don't talk to them. <laughs> Just ignore them. Have you got any recommendations? Um, 
Come back to me. <laughs> I've started recording a new podcast. It's called 100 Years Later. You'll hear Dan on it at some point as well. Oh, yes. And it's a, it's a 10 minute like coffee time podcast where you hear about what things are going to be like in 100 years time, according to experts. And the first one will be on what will cinema be like in 100 years with Paul Salt from One Good Thing. So you can listen to that soon when I have edited it. <laughs> <laughs> Excited. Um, I just finished reading a really good book um, called Warriors for the Working Day by Peter Elstub. So he was a guy, I think he kind of fought with the Republicans in the Spanish War, uh, Spanish Civil War. And then during World War II, he fought as a tank commander. So it's kind of like a fiction book, but it's kind of based on his experiences as like a tank commander um, in like France after the uh, the invasion of Normandy. And yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I recommend that book. It's quite um, yeah, it's very interesting. Kind of like trying to keep up appearances and how like veterans are like after fighting for a few years, rather than being like incredibly brave and like I'm pretty much done now. I want to go home, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and it's just uh, yeah, like it's it's a very good kind of like um, exploration of kind of like that breakdown um, that like that that soldiers experience during World War Two, just being under like constant pressure, a constant kind of like shadow of death hanging over them, and like uh, yeah, how it did actually get to them quite badly, despite how yeah, um, how how some people like think. Uh, think they uh, of course they it were. did yeah how could it not? absolutely did and also how accepting other soldiers were as soon as people broke down they weren't like oh man they were just like just very matter of fact okay that's him that's him done let's uh He's out. someone else Shook take over <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool well um check that out check out our twitter check out our instagram at have you ever pod and follow us wherever you're listening and leave us a five star rating if you would be so obliged. No pressure. But no, it does help lovely. with the algorithm. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.